Hello lovely ones and welcome back to another episode of Our Nobody Dies in This One. This week we're joined by Cece, the wonderful creator behind the booktube channel Problems of a Book Nerd. As a couple of book nerds ourselves, A and I had an absolute blast talking to Cece about all things books, from the best new queer literature out there to changing attitudes towards queerness in the publishing industry, whilst also getting sidetracked by Marvel films along the way. I had the best time recording this episode, so I hope you enjoy listening to it just as much. I heard that you're looking for a good love story with queer people having lots of fun. It's your lucky day, cause we've got the tale for you, and nobody dies in this one. So today we are joined by Cece. Hello. Could you... <laughs> introduce yourself to us who are you what do you do what do you want us to know about you i'm cc i am a booktuber which basically means i'm a youtuber who primarily creates bookish content but my channel is also about movies and tv and general queer stuff i just like to talk about things that i love um and i identify as a lesbian and i use she her pronouns that was such like a prepared answer (laughs) I feel like you've done this before. <laughs> uh, I've, I've had to explain to a lot of people. Sorry. <laughs> Could you um, tell us when you got your official queer membership card? Oh, uh, I want to say the moment the Cora and Asami held hands. <gasps> yes. That was oh it. my god. <laughs> that was it. I was like, it, there had been moments leading up to it, but they held hands, and I was like, oh, I, I'm gay. <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> gay. <laughs> I can relate to that. I finished a rewatch of Cora literally oh, a week ago. Perfect. <laughs> I only watched it for the first time like a couple of months ago because my partner started rewatching it and I was like, what is this? I need to see it. And yeah, that handhold moment at the end, I was like, <gasps> uh-huh. also, I was annoyed because they didn't kiss. And then I went on YouTube and I was like, I'm sure someone has animated this. Oh, so I was like, Google and I was like, Cora and Asami kiss. Obviously, it was there. It was right there. The internet provides. Yeah. Have you have you read any of the comics? I have. I've read. I have all three of them. Okay. And yes. I'm waiting for the new ones to come out. Yes. Eagerly awaiting. Yeah. yeah. Them kissing in the comics. I was like, uh, oh, I am overwhelmed. Uh, it's just so good. It was there. It was just. It was just there. It was just best there. arc. The best arc. Love triangle with the two women ending together. Oh, chef's perfect. <laughs> This is how all love triangles should end. Exactly. That, yeah, that or sensate. Just polyamory. Yeah. Or the two girls. Yeah. (laughs) Either or. Happy with both. (laughs) Very happy with both. (laughs) Cool. Uh, So, do you want to tell us a bit more about BookTube, what it is, what you do on it, and kind of like how long you've been on it and your experience? Uh, Yeah. Um, I'm coming up on... Uh, see, it'll be four years officially in May, so almost almost four full years doing BookTube. Well done! Um, yeah, thank you. BookTube is a place just where people get to be um, sort of more social when they read. Uh, I think a lot of people consider reading sort of a solitary activity, and I think BookTube is really a place where people get to geek out over this thing and um, read as a community. And um, I very much see my role on BookTube as... I want everyone to be able to walk away from my channel um, with at least one book that they think is going to represent them. 
Um, that that's the biggest thing. I, I mainly talk about queer books, but I try to read a huge variety so that whenever anyone is looking to see themselves in a book, I can give them some kind of title that they can look for. And that's a really big deal for me online because when I started BookTube, I felt like there weren't as many people doing that. And I think it's getting better and better. And there are a lot more um, people of color who are booktubers, a lot more queer booktubers. And it's really lovely. But that has been my motto from the beginning is just find books that represent the people who are watching my channel. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> um, thank you. Why did you start booktube in the first place it was actually my ex-girlfriend who pushed me um before she was my ex-girlfriend uh we we were in a class together in college and we had been watching book videos and i'd been um blogging as a book blogger on tumblr since i was in high school and uh our professor turned on this video that was booktube it was just talking about different genres of fantasy and how you define them and she leaned over and went you should do that you would be good at that and like a month later, I started doing it, did a lot of research, watched a lot of other booktubers, but that's kind of how I started. <laughs> did you always start out with the intention of wanting to, you know, what you were saying before about each of your viewers being able to take away at least one book, did did you set out with that intention or was it, you know, to start with just talking about things that you already liked and then that developed into that? I would definitely say it started with just things that I liked, and then the more I saw sort of this this absence of what I was looking for in BookTube, the more I decided I wanted to kind of fill that requirement. Uh, when I started BookTube, I had I was out to myself, and I was out to my girlfriend, obviously, but I wasn't out to anyone at home, so I couldn't be visible on my channel, which led to a lot of like, I really like this book. I'm definitely not going to talk about that. I love it because it's queer and I saw myself in it. <laughs> no one can know that. That's a secret. <laughs> so so the more I went on, the more I read books and saw myself in those and felt more com more confident in my identity, the more I decided I wanted to be able to be a place where other people could come to me and feel that same way. Cool. So what was the the book for you? The book where you're like, this, that's me in book form. Oh. If you found it. <laughs> if I found it. Um, I mean, th there were a lot of books that I read that were queer that I was like, this feels like some part of my identity. I think the one that has come closest is honestly one of the most recent books I read. <laughs> um, I just read Ivy Aberdeen's Letter to the World, which is a middle grade book by Ashley Herring Blake. And it's about a 12 year old girl trying to come to terms with the fact that she likes girls. And I feel like I sobbed for the entire book because it was just constantly seeing little parts of myself when I was young and absolutely refusing to look at anything deeper. Um, but I think when I first started reading more queer lit, I feel like uh, The Miseducation of Cameron Post by Emily M. Danforth and Everything Leads to You by Nina LaCour were my first two, like, oh, these are gay girls. They feel like me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really powerful feeling when you have that moment where you sort of read like a sentence in your book and it's like, oh, I've I feel like they could have written that about me or even more when you sort of you read something that's like 
that's what I've been feeling or that's and you've not been able to articulate it and then somebody has and it's like oh that's <laughs> what that is <laughs> yeah yeah like there there were all of these little pieces but definitely just a constant feeling of that in Ivy Aberdeen when uh, there's there's a bit where she's trying to convince herself that she likes boys and she just keeps picturing these very generic brown floppy haired boys that are just sort of nerdy and awkward and safe and I was like oh no yeah. <laughs> oh no oh. <laughs> I feel like there's such a power in like storytelling for that kind of of stuff as well like I obviously read books but I, I also watch too many tv shows it's a problem oh absolutely it's a problem <laughs> Um, Netflix is dangerous. Netflix, Netflix and is Amazon so dangerous. And now Disney Plus soon will probably eat oh, my money that's... and my brain. Um, uh, yes. Well, we just got now TV because of Game of Thrones, so that's just opened <laughs> up a whole new avenue of things. I'm never going to get anything done now. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like it's it's just really important to. I mean, for me, everything I've learned about myself, I've learned in TV shows and like on Tumblr, yeah. and obviously like talking to other people, but. I guess the first realizations of every part of my identity was through fiction or just some sort of media that I've I've seen or read or listened to and it's just it feels really empowering when you look back and you're like okay so that really bad TV show that if I watched mm-hmm. it now I would hate it skins <coughs> <coughs> that <laughs> That was like super key for me, and it was mm-hmm. just so important. And I watched it, and I was like crying basically because mm-hmm. I was like, "Can I, can I be this? Am I allowed to be this?" And like in the shows, tragedy always, <laughs> always. But still, like you get those little happy moments, and it's adorable. And you're like, "Oh, so I can have those happy, adorable moments." And then I discovered Tumblr, and then my life was ruined forever. Yeah, well, it's 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 weird because. Yeah, those those shows, those shows that were popular around 2013. Yep, Supernatural, <laughs> Doctor Who. Yes. Um, it's it's weird how queer baiting is almost that initial clue where you're like, it's the first community that you're a part of where you're like, oh, everyone wants these characters to be gay. I've never experienced a community wanting characters to be queer before. <laughs> uh, so even those like super problematic early things that yep. like, oh god, could never go back and watch Sherlock but <laughs> that little piece was so important at the time yeah <laughs> and like I feel like we have come like there's so much more left to do but we have come a long way in terms of representation <laughs> like I feel like even if it's super secondary and you don't actually talk about it at all like there will be a queer character in every single new show now and yeah for me that's a win that is that is absolutely a win <laughs> <laughs> the way that we have seen TV change in the last 10 years is like, obviously we're not done, but yeah. such an improvement. <laughs> yeah. And do you, do you feel like it's been kind of the same in books as well? Or has it kind of always been more queer in books than it has been in TV? Um, I think that there's sort of a... <laughs> a distance between different kinds of media in terms of how well they're doing with representation. And books have always been ahead of the pack. I think movies are at the back. <laughs> movies are very, very slowly making their way <laughs> towards actually representing um, queer people. But books have always been farther ahead. But in the past few years, it's been more and more inclusive. We're starting to see... Um, more characters who aren't cis. We're starting to see more queer characters who are also people of color who are disabled. And just 
uh, it's it's so remarkable to me to see how far YA has come, even just in the time that I've been a booktuber in just the last four years. Um, like this year, we're getting a traditionally published book about a non-binary teen by a non-binary author. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which um, is I Wish You All the Best by Mason Deaver. And that's that's just such an important thing for me to highlight. Like, look how far we've gotten. This is going to be traditionally published by Scholastic. And I just think that's really amazing. Do you think it's an effort on the part of publishers or rather a authors are now telling these stories or have authors always been telling these stories and then publishers have been really snobbish about it i i feel like the stories have always been there but there's there's this constant narrative in the publishing world that like once you have one book with a lesbian protagonist that is that publisher's lesbian book for the season and so i think more and more it has been about publishing needing to accept that the market wants more than one the market is after more than just that and they can't get away with telling people that their stories aren't valid anymore so i think it's just the gatekeeping is starting to slightly let up and and that's a pretty pretty big deal it, it could still do better but we're we're making strides what i've really enjoyed seeing is how many um sort of queer books are coming out that aim specifically at quite young children a few mm-hmm. years ago I used to work for a book club when we started seeing a few coming in and then there just seems to be so many more there's like um I went into a Waterstones the other week and they had this, a whole wall of um like it, you know it was picture books or mm-hmm. slightly beyond picture books so you'd have like a sentence on a page but it was all about um all really diverse and inclusive stories and you know um and queer stories it was like two trans stories on there mm-hmm. and um I was just like a couple of years ago that wouldn't have been a display in a bookshop and I think no it's really good yeah <laughs> yeah definitely is really yeah. good yeah it's been um I've been reading a lot of middle grade this month which is not usually an age group I delve into but it's meant that I've got to read a lot of like queer books written for 10 to 12 year olds which is really cool and not just starring those characters but I I just read a book a couple of weeks ago um it's called Two Night Owl from Dogfish which is basically a parent trap story but the two girls are trying to get their gay dads together and like I just never could have imagined that (laughs) when I was a child reading this book about these two so good not facing um rejection from their peers loving their dads enthusiastically and just wanting them to be together is just like it warms my soul a little bit (laughs) (laughs) i feel like on top of getting more queer stories we're getting more happy queer stories and that absolutely that makes me really happy because obviously as the title of this podcast suggests we're both really (laughs) done with people dying (laughs) absolutely (laughs) do you think that this kind of like emergence of queer lit in the last few years is also because people like becky albertali and like nina lacour have had like huge successes with queer books yeah i i think that having that one book that makes a big splash like it's a big deal because it does show the market that 
people want those stories. And yeah, with a book like Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda being adapted into a fairly successful movie, it's a it's definitely a big deal. It lets people know that that's what people want to read. And I don't know, I, I think that's really great. Nina LaCour, Becky Albertalli, Adam Silvera, all out here fighting the good fight. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel being like a popular queer presence on booktube is it easy is it like a really toxic place does it get really annoying in the comment section is it like more private messages like how is it to exist on this kind of scale on booktube um i i feel like there is always going to be the bad but it is so outweighed by the good um it is definitely really complicated <laughs> um to be a more vocal presence on booktube and you do get those comments on videos on reviews that i read on goodreads um about who is oppressed and who isn't and those are just arguments i don't want to get into because there's there's no point but i feel like those messages and those comments are so outweighed by the people who message me and say hey reading this book helped me figure out a part of myself um and that that is always going to be so much more important to me is just one voice saying this book this book unlocked something for me and it's weird because it's also how i've gotten back into contact with a couple of people from high school all people i was like oh i never need to speak to them again <laughs> but but you know we we've sort of found each other again through the internet and and a friend from high school recently reached out and was like hey you know, this graphic novel you talked about on your YouTube channel really helped me. And I was like, ah, we went to high school together and look at us out here succeeding. Being queer. <laughs> it's, it's something that I never could have pictured for either of us when we were going to school in super conservative northern Utah. Um, so, yeah, that being a presence is there. there's a lot of pressure because I feel like there's a pressure on me to be a happy gay. Because <laughs> um, that's how I started out. I wanted to be sort of that person that people could look up to and say, oh, hey, that is that is someone succeeding. I could be like that. Because those were the people who I really relied on on YouTube when I was younger. Um, and I, I feel like I've taken that pressure off myself a little bit in the past year and allowed myself to sort of know that I don't always have to be the the person succeeding at life and that struggles can also be beneficial to let other people see um i i just i want people to know that there is good out there and there is success out there for queer people people kind of forget that what you see on youtube is what the person decided to show on that specific day for seven to 13 minutes of their time it's been edited Absolutely. down like it's been planned and people mm -hmm. tend to forget that what you see on camera isn't necessarily what you're going to get IRL. And I mean, I'm, I am very particular about like understanding that the people on YouTube are, are people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they're not, yeah. they're not just, just kind of robots. They're always happy and always like clapping and being really sassy and nice and funny and like laughing around <laughs> and talking about things that they love. Like also, like, they can be depressed, they can be anxious, they can, like, have a really horrible time and still go to YouTube for those happy moments. And people mm -hmm. forget that a lot, I think. 
Yeah, and it's weird because that that's always the way that I've approached YouTube, where I'm like, oh, these people are real people and they deserve to have their down days, but I wasn't giving myself that same level of acceptance. I was expecting me to always be happy, and I, I think that there's sort of a journey in knowing that if you don't expect that of others, there's no reason you need to expect that of yourself. <laughs> A very good lesson for today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How do you choose what books to feature on your channel? Do you go out specifically looking for books to feature on there? Or is it a case of you pick something out of what you're reading generally? You know, how much does YouTube influence what you read and what how much does what you read influence what goes on YouTube? I think... Um... I think for the most part, YouTube has become sort of a way of being accountable that if if I'm creating a list of books that I'm going to read in a month, if I didn't have outside pressure, I might not think twice about the books I've collected. But because I'm going to be more visible and because I'm going to talk about a lot of things that I want people to relate to, there are moments when I look at my list and go, you've chosen all white authors and that's that is your privilege coming through that is your bias coming through and you need to rethink um what you've created here so that you have a more balanced list of things you're talking about and um i don't do that as a way to like talk down to viewers or to pander to viewers it really is just a way of keeping myself accountable and constantly being aware of the privilege that leads me to choose certain books over others so uh, I think the biggest thing is when I am talking about, at the beginning of the year, I do these really intense, very well-researched, um, anticipated releases for the following year, and they take me months to plan because that is when I do most of my research for the books I want to read in a given year, where I try to find as many different types of representation as possible, and that sort of helps to shape what I'm going to read for the rest of the year. As far as what I focus on, um, it's generally always just going to be a favorite, <laughs> and it just so happens that because I really push myself to read from a lot of different communities, those favorites represent a lot of different communities. Um, and I think that that's, I think that that's a big deal when you're creating content for, um, for young people, even for adults, just to kind of cater to your own tastes, but to remember that your own taste can be limited. Um, so I, I really try to push myself outside of that limitation. What is the book that people message you about? Being like, Ooh. oh, you've recommended this to me. Thank you so much. Um, I feel like the one I get more than anything else is um, Not Your Sidekick by C.B. Lee which is um, a book about a Chinese-Vietnamese bi girl who is the daughter of superheroes, but she doesn't have superpowers herself. And I, I feel like I championed that book so much because it was from an independent publisher and I really wanted people to pay attention to it. And so I feel like more than anything else, <laughs> that book gets associated with me. Um, a lot of people associate The Raven Cycle with me, but I am not the only booktuber who talks about those books, so <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not just a me thing. Um, but be, because of talking about Not Your Sidekick as much as I have, like, I've 
been able to get to know the author and hang out with the author a few times and do a lot of different videos with her. So I I feel like that is that is the book <laughs> that, that the most people sort of say that is the book that I got from you. It's a great book. Everyone should read it. Especially book. if you're into superheroes. <laughs> especially if you're into anything to do with queer girls being in love mm-hmm. and cute and superpowers. It's the cutest romance. I feel like <laughs> I hadn't read <laughs> I feel like I hadn't read just a really cheesy lady romance before I got that book. Like, I, I loved a lot of the female-female romances I was reading, but getting to that book, I was like, oh, this is so cheesy and nice. <laughs> this is everything I want. Because <laughs> you said that that led to you then meeting the author. Do you think authors have an understanding of how BookTube works and how BookTube can influence people's attitudes to book? Do you think they're aware of that or are they becoming more aware of that? I I definitely think they're becoming more aware of that. Um, Authors, publishers. um, I was just reading an interview the other day that apparently like when they're designing book covers now, what the things they think about are like is this going to look good in an Instagram picture is this going to glare on camera so I I feel like that is becoming more an awareness that the internet is where people find out about books and so you've you've got to kind of pay attention to that and in the last year I've got to sit down with a few of my favorite authors who really you know, care about the stuff that people are making online I got to interview um, Victoria Schwab last September and was shaking the entire time. I don't think I ate all day, um, but she was so gracious and kind and, and understanding and so aware of how much the internet had led to people getting a hold of her books. And I definitely think it's something that a lot more people are becoming aware of. Um, have you got projects of writing yourself for TV or for film, for books or whatever? Um, I used to think I wanted I wanted to be a writer, but it's not really my deal anymore. Um, I I want to be an editor. I like working with creators in order to help make the stuff that they write better. That's way more how my brain works. So, um, I've, I've worked on a couple of self-published books and I'm a freelance editor part-time, but that is, that is more what I would absolutely love to pursue. I feel like every book I read, <laughs> I come in with that eye of, is, is this well-constructed? What would I have changed here? So that, that's definitely the way my brain works. Is there a book that you wish you could have edited on? Like a book that was good... <sighs> But you were like, mm-hmm. with some of my ideas, they could have been like so much better. Or like a book that was, the, the idea was good and then it was problematic or something like that. Yeah. Um, I read this this book in February. Um, it's called Beasts Made of Night um, by Tochi Onibuchi. And so much of it, like so many fascinating concepts. It was magical. It was engaging. It was really different from a lot of the other fantasy that's being published. Um, but it's, it's timing and the way it was paced was like 
a little agonizing. <laughs> and reading it, I was like, oh, if I could just move some of these things around, <laughs> then I feel like there are so many great ideas here that could have been conveyed better if stuff had been moved. <laughs> definitely, there's that one. I there were There's another series I read at the beginning of the year that for basically the whole books, I... Just that internal brain going, oh, why do they keep saying the same thing twice, once in dialogue and once in narration? <laughs> Just little things like that that drive me up the wall. <laughs> yeah, I find that in, in TV shows, because I'm not, I started reading quite, like, fairly recently. Like, it's only been, like, what, four or five years since I'd gone back to reading. I was not a mm -hmm. reader when I was a child, because... My sister was a reader, therefore I could not be a reader, clearly, because that's how sisterhood works. Um, <laughs> and so I've gone back to reading very recently, um, but TV shows have always been something that I've watched and I've seen many. And so now I kind of know all the tropes and mm -hmm. like, it's very difficult for me to find a show where I'm like mind blown. So like Sense8 mm -hmm. was one of them. Season two of The OA was one of them. Season one did not like oh, okay. that. Season two, brilliant. Um, <laughs> mm hmm and it's always the kind of things where, oh, for example, I was watching Star Trek Discovery and I love that show. I think it's it's full of really great concepts and interesting things. But then mm -hmm. they give the main characters kind of like really long monologues and then they spend mm. like, it's always like super tense and they have to do things really quickly. Yet they're all going to sit down in a room for like half an hour and then yell at each other about the things <laughs> that we've already heard from the monologue from the main character before. Oh no. <laughs> You do not have time for this. <laughs> uh, and I, like, Discovery is something I want to watch because um, it was such a big deal that, like, we finally had a Star Trek show that was, like, explicit representation as opposed to the movies where, you know, we got a side hug and they were like, did you see that? <laughs> did you <laughs> see it? <laughs> I was like, no, I blinked. What happened? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, I... I've I've heard such up and down things and I'm I'm currently near the end of watching Next Generation for the first time and so Ooh. I've been slowly working my way through <laughs> up to Discovery. I'm like, oh, so much TV to get through before I get there. <laughs> There's so much Star Trek. To be fair, like I've not so seen much any. Star I've seen, like, Trek. A few episodes of Voyager because Captain Janeway is of course a bay and <laughs> i love her um so i've seen a few episodes of that and then i was like you know what i'm just gonna watch discovery i can't deal with old tv like i if it was made before the 2000s i can't deal with it can't I'm do it i'm sorry <laughs> do you find that when you're reading and obviously you say you sort of you're quite critical in your reading because mm -hmm. you're sort of editing it editing it as you get do you find that um kind of can take away the enjoyment of reading or does it enhance it because when you get something really good you appreciate how well crafted it is um i i feel like it gives me the language to describe my issues with a book like um before i went to school i got a degree in english i feel like i would i would have a very hard time explaining what I did or didn't like about a book and I feel like I'm just as critical as I used to be it's just now I have a language for it I have a language for the technical things that were bothering me that I didn't have a way to describe before and I definitely think it enhances the books I love where I, I can see the craft that went into that kind of book um I just read The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet um by Becky Chambers which is absolutely brilliant yes. 
um, sci-fi, and the whole time I was just, oh, the world building of this, the detail, there's, you just get to appreciate it so much more when you can kind of see beneath the book how it was put together. We actually ended up speaking about that on the last we podcast. We did. <laughs> we recorded. <laughs> we already had a bit of a love session about that book. I've had it on my um, to-read pile for ages and just not got around to it, but I've not spoken to a single person who's not been like, oh my God, this book is incredible. Yeah. It's yeah, so it well-crafted. I, I feel like that was the book that has been recommended to me more than any other book for the past four years. There are a lot of books people tell me to read, but by far, it's always Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. So when I finally read it this month, I was like, oh my God, where are they going to pick now? <laughs> They're going to have to pick a new thing to always recommend. I think I've been subconsciously putting it off because people keep telling me how good it is. And I'm like, but what if I'm disappointed? And then I meet another person who's like, you've got to read it. You've got to read it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what happened to me with uh, Good Omens. I talk about Good Omens on every single podcast. I feel like people are going to be hearing about this book. <laughs> I've been in a reading slump, so I've not been reading a lot for the, the start of the mm. year because I've been working on creative things. And for some reason, my creative brain and my reading brain don't get along don't for mesh. now. Uh-huh. I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been reading Good Omens for like three months now. It's fine. But it's a book that it's so many of my friends, like top three favorite book of mm-hmm. all time. And because of that, mm. I was like, do I want to do I want to read it? Because then if I don't like it, then I'll just be that friend. Which is why I right. refuse to read Harry Potter. <laughs> oh. I will read it this year, but like I'm literally wearing a Harry Potter shirt. I do right know now. this. I do know this. <laughs> but like I haven't read Harry Potter again because my sister read Harry Potter, and like obviously I couldn't be reading Harry Potter. Um, but like now that I I know that J.K. Rowling is not a horrible person, I kind of don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> but like I feel like That's... once I read it, I need to be in the state of mind where I know that. For the time it came out, it was really important to a whole generation, and I right. need to appreciate that. Yeah, uh, and it's so I'm I haven't read Good Omens because I've I've had a really negative experience with Neil Gaiman's writing, but I keep going back and forth because like oh, there's that bit that's Terry Pratchett, maybe that <laughs> would. So I'm I, I'm definitely excited about the show though. Yes, I think it David Tennant Bay. David Tennant absolutely <laughs> it looks like it's gonna be so good. <laughs> it's a month from now, isn't it? Thirty first of May. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. I know this. I know all the dates. <laughs> <laughs> you are the go-to person for release dates. <laughs> I'll take it, to be fair. When's this thing coming out? Oh, just ask it. <laughs> oh, no. It's quicker than Googling. <laughs> yeah, I think what you're saying about Harry Potter and sort of taking things for the context that they were written in, I think you have to be really careful to do that because otherwise you can just write off so much stuff yeah Mm -hmm. um and like i don't want to be the person like shitting all over harry potter like i don't want to be that guy (laughs) i just don't want to entitled to like if you read it and you don't get on with it then that's totally yeah but i feel like there's a there's a difference between being like i read this i understand its cultural importance and i personally didn't vibe with it and then mm-hmm. reading something and being like, this is shit. Clearly it's really bad. It was badly written. Everyone who's read this is wrong. And this success, this literally international success. I, myself, my little self is saying that all of this was for nothing. Everyone else is, is wrong. No, everyone well, I'm even coming from a place where I love Harry Potter, you know, enthusiastically and have 
since 2007. I read them all in the one month leading up to the release of Deathly Hallows. Um, I feel like even with all that love, I am still one of the people who you will most frequently find on booktube shitting on certain aspects of Harry Potter. <laughs> it's just like, I love it. It's always going to live in my heart, but <laughs> um, there's, there's, I'm so open to critiquing the stuff that I love that I don't know how to consume media I love without pointing out all the issues in yeah. it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, for me, a big part of loving something is tearing it to shreds. Absolutely. Like, I do. I, I particularly do it with the Harry Potter films because they're, like, my go-to comfort thing. But I will just watch them and be like, this is fucking terrible. What is this? Oh, what is that? And I literally just do a running commentary of, like, everything that's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. But I love it, and I will continue to watch it and rip it apart. Absolutely, <laughs> I, I know. I, I don't know I, how else to do things. I just rewatched them um, all in December, and yeah, the whole time I'm just like, oh, this is. Mm, mm. But I'm gonna keep. <laughs> I'm gonna keep watching them. To be fair, I just did a rewatch of the MCU to prepare myself for Avengers oh. Endgame, obviously, and like I understand that. I understand <laughs> that. Like I love it to death. And if anyone says anything <laughs> negative about it, I will probably kill you. Right. But <laughs> Thor 2 was garbage. <laughs> Thor 2 was garbage. <laughs> De- definitely willing to acknowledge that. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things like you love them in the moment and the time that you first saw them or read mm-hmm. them. So you kind of carry that with you and then you go back and it's not how you remembered it, but you still have that that feeling of the first moment. So you just have to kind of work out how to balance them. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I got I got a Harry Potter tattoo when I was 19 that I'd been like, I've been planning to get it for years. All through high school, I was like, oh man, I'm going to turn 18. I'm going to get this tattoo. Um, and I turned 19, I got the tattoo. And like a year later, I was like, oh, should I not have done this? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and so I try to constantly look at it and remember that it's not necessarily... Um, an homage to that part of Harry Potter, but it's a way of remembering that part of myself at that age. And I feel like that's how I try to approach a lot of fiction is I- I'm not necessarily celebrating that part of fiction anymore. I'm celebrating what it was to me at that moment in my life and what it will be at different moments of my life. And I feel like that's the best way to consume fiction, just have it in perspective to who you were. Absolutely. Because, like, at the end of the day, you're the one reading it, you're the one feeling the emotions. And, like, I remember, like, watching films back when I was, like, 14 and I had mm-hmm. a Tarantino phase. Don't judge me. Everyone had a Tarantino phase. It's fine. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I was, like, watching all those films and I was like, oh, my God, this is such great cinema. And then I was watching all the other films I actually enjoyed, like, all the animated <laughs> movies and all the, like, nerd stuff that you're not allowed mm-hmm. to like, otherwise you're just so uncool. And I was already the most uncool human being in the world, okay? <laughs> I didn't need more uncool to me. I didn't need to tell everyone that I spent my Saturday mornings watching the Batman animated series. <laughs> you don't know how many other people were secretly doing know, that as well. And now I know. But pretending they liked Tarantino like I was instead. To, to people that like I went to high school with the other day and I was like... I'm going to admit this right now. I used to love the Totally Spies. Mm, I loved Totally Spies. I loved Totally Spies so much. And 
everyone, like, I was kind of expecting everyone to laugh at me, and everyone was like, oh my god, which totally is my eye. Well, yeah, um, I feel like I, you know, I grew up absolutely loving Scooby-Doo, and the older I got, the more I was like, this isn't really socially acceptable to be this age and still love Scooby-Doo, but... The thing I am currently reading is the Scooby-Doo comic. Oh my god. The Scooby-Doo apocalypse. <laughs> so, like, I haven't changed as a person. <laughs> I've just gone through different phases of knowing how acceptable it is exactly. <laughs> to like Scooby-Doo still. <laughs> I think you just gotta own these things. Yeah. yeah. And to be fair, like, I feel like a lot of those, like, big nerdy franchises are becoming really cool. Like, Marvel mm-hmm. used to be the, the yeah. least cool thing in the world, and now they're, like, mm-hmm. the highest grossing films every single time. And they're yeah. incredible. I mean, Captain Marvel just would watch that on repeat forever. Fantastic. <laughs> I just I just uh, got all of the Captain Marvel Funko Pops at a convention I was at oh last weekend, and it looks so great together. Oh my god. Have you got the wives? <laughs> yes, I do have the oh wives. They're in their matching flight suits. <gasps> <laughs> I'm gonna stop talking about Marvel now. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. (laughs) After after I see Endgame, um, my uh my patrons choose uh a video for me to make every single month, and in April they wanted me to make like a really in depth discussion on Endgame. So as soon as I see it, it. I'm gonna have to sit down and talk about Marvel for like an hour and a half. Oh my god, I'm so excited. We're going to have to stop talking about Marvel before A accidentally gives away the whole of Endgame. No, no, I never will. I literally, I tweeted my thread of all the films that I rewatched with like Mm -hmm. updated greys out of 10, obviously, um, as Mm -hmm. you do. And I've like, I told people I was going to the cinema and since then I have not tweeted. I have not liked any tweets because I don't want to be that person who ruins it for someone else. I can't. Mm -hmm. Take on that responsibility. <laughs> I've done it once before because I liked uh, Adventure Time finale tweet. I liked oh, it. It appeared on someone else's timeline and I got yelled at. <laughs> uh-huh. I feel like every day I go through Twitter and add new, like, muted words. <laughs> like, every time something makes it through the mute, I'm like, I didn't block Thanos, okay? I gotta go add that. <laughs> Only have to make it through like twenty four more yep. hours. <laughs> and then I was married. I've got that pressure of that twenty four hour window when you can like watch Game of Thrones. But it's like this unspoken agreement that no one will say anything for twenty four yep. hours, mm-hmm. and then we'll say everything. So it's like, a, oh crap, there's only like half an hour to go. I need to watch it now. <laughs> and then suddenly it's like dragons, dragons in Winterfell. <laughs> I, I don't know about Game of Thrones at all. I'm sorry if this is actually a spoiler. I will edit it out. Please let me know. I know nothing about Game of Thrones. I watched you know, it up until the Red is, Wedding it... and then I stopped because I was like, you've ruined me. I cannot take this anymore. I I feel like I'm in the downtime between seasons. I'm like, I don't really care about Game of Thrones. Yeah. And then it comes back and I'm like, oh, I love this. I was exactly <laughs> like that this time out because like, loads of people I knew were re-watching season seven in preparation. I was like, oh, you know what? I don't really care. It's mm-hmm. been so long since the last one. I can't remember what happened. I don't care. Fast forward to the first episode coming out. I'm like frantically rereading articles about what happened in season seven. I'm five uh-huh. minutes into the first episode. I'm like, oh my God, this show is the best thing that's ever happened. Yep. 
I'm so fickle. <laughs> I know, I don't know what I'm gonna do after the entire show ends and I don't have that, like, new season renewal of all of my energy. <laughs> See, I think I'll just go back to not caring because, like, I keep trying to rewatch the box set. But, like, I go back to the first series and I'm like... Oh, it's quite slow and boring now. <laughs> I don't want to watch it. Uh-huh. But then a new episode comes out and be like, I would die for this show. I feel like it's more the like social involvement with Game of Thrones. Yeah. It's like literally you can't talk to anybody if you don't watch Game of Thrones for eight weeks a year. So you might as well watch Game of Thrones. And then you might as well be as And into how are it you finding that at the moment? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. How has that been? <laughs> I get I get to be like I don't care about Game of Thrones, but I can tell you all about Marvel. (laughs) I feel like you've got to have at least one of those, otherwise you can't talk to anyone. And if you do both, this weekend is going to be something. (laughs) Endgame and the new episode of Game of Thrones, which is like... Mind-blowing. Nerve-wracking. 2019 for nerds is hard. Between Game of Thrones, Endgame, and Star Wars. And, oh, I know. At least we get a few months. We do. We get, like, a pop (laughs) year. And the Men in Black trailer came out today as well. I must watch that. It's so good. (laughs) They showed it yesterday at the the Endgame Double Bill showing thing that I went to. (sighs) And I was like, (gasps) oh, my God. Bisexual icons. I don't Truly. even care if they're bisexual. They're bisexual icons <laughs> is what they are. <laughs> well, I, I just really appreciate that someone watched Thor Ragnarok and we're like, you know what? We need another yes. buddy space comedy with these two people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that so much because, like, same. <laughs> but at least someone who had power <laughs> yeah. also felt that way. <laughs> I just like, as soon as I mentioned that, you both had the exact... It was like... Because you're side to side on my screen and you both did exactly the same thing with your faces and your hands and your entire body movement. It was like this kind of visceral reaction (laughs) that was identical. (laughs) Were we supposed to be talking about books? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think we were. (laughs) So books are a thing. Yep, they are. Yes. They are gay books. Read them. Some of them are good. Definitely. Some of them are good. (laughs) Okay, top top four, five. Top five best queer books you've ever read. Not in top any order. Five. Oh no, oh no. Um, <laughs> Putting you on the spot I'm, right I'm, there. I'm facing my bookshelves right now, so I'm trying. Yeah, that was such a hard, that was mean. I went up to five because I was so like, mean. if I say one, I'll never get an answer. <laughs> no, you you definitely would never get an answer. Maybe okay. like top five at the moment. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I can not do of this. all time. We won't I hold you this. to it forever. <laughs> okay. Um, Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, yes! for sure. Yeah. Um, The Raven Cycle as a whole. I'm counting that as one. Okay. <laughs> this. Um, if I could sneak another series in there, <laughs> it'd be a darker shade of magic. <laughs> um. Oh no. Oh no. Um. Everything leads to you. And, oh no, 
And Juliet takes a breath. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <Amazing. laughs> and breathe. <laughs> I know. I can feel my bookshelves judging me. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you didn't pick me? <laughs> yes. Yes, we are the ants and fire and stars oh. and um, long way to a small angry planet yes. are staring They're me staring down. They're staring at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like we need to talk about the seven husbands. Oh my god, we do. We definitely do. Because A read it because you read it. I and did. I read it because I read it. <laughs> and then I've gotten like every person I know to read it. I literally lent that book to a friend two days ago. I was like, You should you should read this. You will enjoy yeah. this. Because I was <laughs> I, meant, I was, meant, I was meant to give her the, the price of salt and I my girlfriend is bringing that back to me, so I don't have it yet. And so mm-hmm. I was like, but instead, have this one. It's better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Se- Seven Husbands, Beverly Hugo. I oh feel like people tried to prepare me for reading that. And then I read you it. Can't be you can't be prepared. I was not prepared. <laughs> I-, I listened to it in- on audio. And like I was outside walking and I just started sobbing. Like <laughs> fountains of tears pouring down my face and then I had to like sit down I was on my way to therapy and then I had to sit down I was like I can't go to therapy and be in tears I've never cried in therapy I can't go to therapy that's very out of character for me <laughs> that would raise a lot of questions I don't want to yep. discuss <laughs> um I remember reading it I read like the first half um over like a couple of different flights and then I got home and I read the last half all sitting on my couch just like in a straight shot I didn't look up for the entire last half of the book and I closed it and I was sobbing and I just sort of hugged it to my chest for a couple of minutes to be like can I absorb you I <laughs> I didn't know what to do with this I think I was just messaging a like it it's over <laughs> now what do I do uh-huh and then you were like, but you told me it was a happy book. And I was like, it is a happy book. <laughs> but I'm so, so happy. That's why I'm crying <laughs> so much. <laughs> For people who don't know what on earth we're talking about, could you give a very quick spoiler-free synopsis of what it's about? Yeah. Uh. So... It's basically about this woman, Evelyn Hugo. She used to be like a an actress in like the golden age of Hollywood and she's invited a really unknown reporter to come and listen to her story and she's going to be the first one to ever write a book about Evelyn. Um and it's about Evelyn finally coming clean about her seven husbands that she's never opened up about. Um and it has a bisexual main character and it's great and perfect. <laughs> and everyone should read it. And it talks about like such complicated topics like how it does. you have to like hide yourself and your identity because she's not only bisexual but she's also Cuban and she spent her like whole t- her whole life hiding that because she thinks that she can't succeed in Hollywood being yeah. who she is and it's like this whole exploration of you know like what you can be and what you can't be and it Mm-hmm. so good please read it's it it's so good yes <laughs> well i'm i'm reading another book right now i'm only halfway through so i don't know if i can give it like the firm evelyn hugo recommendation but it is the book that most people told me to read if i loved evelyn hugo it's called um the air you breathe and it is about these two girls starting in the 1930s in brazil and their love of music and their rivalry and their love 
and one of them is bisexual and basically loves this other girl for her entire life. <laughs> and it's, like, destructive and damaging, but they're both also trying to make it um, on the music in the music scene, um, writing samba and performing samba. And it's it's definitely got that, like, Evelyn Hugo comp material. <laughs> I'm gonna need this book in my life. You're not helping me, Zisa. I'm currently on a book buying ban, and this is not oh. helping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, <laughs> we've now talked about Evan Hugo, mm-hmm. which I feel is a good way to wrap this up. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so it's a good end note. Um, <laughs> so we need you to get you to put yourself on our queer scale, okay? Um, which is very, very serious. It's a very yes. serious scale. Mm-hmm. No laughing allowed. No laughing. Very <laughs> it's it's how you will be known forever from now on. Of course. <laughs> So, I've already ruined it by laughing. <laughs> oh, no, we've all done it. No. Oh, this is We've this all is ruined terrible. the sanctity of the scale. <laughs> the scale that I created for myself was uh, the bottom of the scale is glee. Yes. <laughs> and the top of the scale is sensate. I love that and scale. Would, that is a cracking yeah. scale. Yeah, and I would say I'm, I'm right in there at everything sucks. Nice. Ooh. Nice. That's <laughs> as good scale. That, wow. Yeah. I yeah, like it. Was... I'm very impressed about this scale. You've clearly <laughs> thought this through. Mm-hmm. You've come prepared. You did your homework. I like it. <laughs> I did. Well, and I, I had also been trying to do movies, and I could only come up with the bottom of the scale for movies, which yes. is Jenny's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and then I abandoned it because I got too mad about Jenny's wedding. Carol can be the top of that scale. <laughs> Let's not get into the Carol argument again. Travon, you're it. not allowed to talk about no, Carol. I've no. taken that right away you, from you. You brought it up. You're wrong about you Carol. Everything you think Let's... about Carol is wrong. Moving on. <laughs> wait, wait. Moving... Who, who's putting it at the bottom? Who's putting it at the top? Travon puts it at the I'm bottom. Put... Can you imagine? Kate Blanchett at the bottom of the queer scale. I mean, I definitely wouldn't put Carol at the top of the queer scale. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just need to let you know that um, where A is sitting, there is like a life-sized Carol poster. <laughs> it's horrific. You're horrific. It's human size. Okay, I have a problem. <laughs> like I understand the the one, the, you know, the need of having a life-size Kate Blanchett in your room. Oh, absolutely. But not Carol. <laughs> I mean, I would have had yeah. Ragnarok if I could, because that, you know, evil villain aesthetic was bang sure. on. But I mean Carol. Or Ocean's her green Eight. velvet suit from Ocean's 8. Ocean's 8. <laughs> yeah. Although I would if also have Rihanna have... in that red dress, if we're talking about Not Ocean's sure. 8. You, you just needed Ocean's 8 life-size I cut do. out of everyone. Every single Ew. person. <laughs> this is a very queer podcast. Yep. <laughs> amazing so do you have any uh queer recommendations for us obviously you can i feel like we've got a we've lot got so many yeah do. but do you have any more? anything else you can give us um i feel like um i wrote down ones uh i wrote down something for like as many identities identities as i could think of and i'll tell you the ones i haven't talked about yet because <laughs> i did make a list um i feel like i didn't talk about asexual or aromantic books so i have to recommend let's talk about love by claire Kahn, which is about a biromantic ace girl um and then i wanted to talk about summer bird blue by akemi don bowman which features an arrow ace protagonist 
I talked about I wish you all the best yes. because Mason is life. I'm so excited for them <laughs> and their book. Um, oh, I wanted to mention Autobiography by Christina Lauren because I feel like bi boys do not get the amount of time mm-hmm. that bi girls get in fiction and autobiography is like a piece of my heart and soul so <laughs> had to recommend that one too <laughs> do you want to give us quick synopses of these three books yeah 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 mentioned? um so let's talk about love is about a girl she's just finished her freshman year of college and her girlfriend broke up with her for being ace basically and so she decides she's totally done with romance and then this new guy starts working with her at the library and she thinks he's really cute and cuteness ensues um (laughs) summer bird blue is a little heavier that one is about a girl and her sister dies in a car crash and um her mother sends her away to live with her aunt so that they can kind of both process their grief and while she's processing her grief she's also still coming to terms with the fact that she just initially started talking to her sister about possibly being asexual and aromantic so she's still kind of working through that Um, And then Autobiography is a male-male romance about a bisexual Jewish boy who moves with his family to Utah, and he finds himself falling for um, the Mormon bishop's son. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's really, really good. (laughs) And it gets gets Utah, and it gets, um, like, Mormon culture very, very right, and it's brilliant amazing awesome. what about you and your things that you do where can we find you um my channel is problems of a book nerd so you can find me there um and then all of my other social handles are ccuing i'm on twitter i'm on instagram um where else oh uh my patreon is uh patreon slash problems of a book nerd yeah it's kind of it i talk about books i talk about queer stuff I am currently working on a video. It is my rainbow clothing collection that I'm very excited about. So, (laughs) going to be a very gay video. (laughs) Awesome. Cool. Amazing. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Cece for taking the time out to talk to us and for dishing out so many good book recommends. I now have so many books that I want to read. I really need to stop recording this segment and head out to the nearest available bookshop now. As ever, you can find all Cece's links in the description along with this week's Queer Recommends. If you want to keep up to date with our latest episodes, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whichever podcast listening format you prefer and follow us on Twitter at NobodyDiesPod. That way you'll be the first to know when a new episode is released. If you'd like to help support the podcast, then the absolute best thing you can do is rate us on iTunes. Five stars, please. I'm not going to pretend that I want anything less. It only takes a matter of seconds, but if you have a little bit more time, then we would love you forever and always if you could leave us a review. It doesn't have to be an essay, just a few words about why you like us. Although, if anyone is willing to write a thesis about us, I will gladly read it. Other than that, please share the podcast with your friends, give us an odd retweet, and shoot a message into space, just in case anyone's out there. Easy peasy. Nobody died, nobody died.